We're in 1 Peter chapter 4. And what we've seen over the last few months is uh, one of the main themes that we've seen throughout this letter is that as we follow Jesus living holy lives in a hostile world, we will stand out. We will be very different. Some will hate us for that, and others will be drawn to us and ultimately to God. This is our role in the world as Christians. Leslie Newbegin, a British missionary in India and theologian of the 20th century, wrote several books and essays on what it would take for the church to continue living out God's mission in this in this changing postmodern Western world of the 21st century. He spent a lot of time reflecting on the identity and role of the church in the world. And in one of his books, The Gospel in a Pluralist Society, Newbegin suggests that the church can still have a transformative impact on society if we understand that we exist in the world as a foretaste, instrument, and sign of God's redeeming grace. He says, we live as a foretaste of the kingdom life that God intends for all humanity. And we live now as a real foretaste of salvation in the age to come. We live as instruments of God's grace. We are his agents of peace and reconciliation in the world as we advance the gospel of Jesus. And we are a sign. We point to a new reality that is here and coming. New creation. He says we are appointing people. You know why we're broken? Yes, we are. But look. Look at, look at us now. Look at what he's done. And guess what? Look. Look at what's coming. We're appointing people. A foretaste, instrument, and sign of God's redeeming grace in the world. I just love that. And it's nothing new. It's just repackaged for our day. We recall the words of Jesus recorded for us in the Gospels. Jesus himself says, We are the salt of the earth, the very light in this dark world. Us, Christians. We are a contrast people, a people on display for all to see the glorious grace of God and stream to Him. That's who we are. That's our identity and role in the world. Peter, too, has labored over the last four chapters, as we've seen, to equip and encourage the church to endure suffering 
well, while at the same time witnessing to the glorious grace of God in Jesus. The early church at the time of Peter's writing was suffering all kinds of social and religious persecution in the Roman Empire. So for Peter, preserving the church in unity, truth, and love was vital for him. It was how the church would remain on display for all to see the glorious gospel of God. Now in today's passage, Peter, what we're going to see him do is he's going to summarize some of the things that he's already said. We've already seen him repeat himself uh, time and time again. That's good for us. Uh, we need to hear these themes and the Word of God over and over again. He's going to repeat some of the things he's already said on suffering, and he'll continue spurring us on to live contrast lives in the world as witnesses of the gospel. That's what we're in for this morning. As we work through our text, though, I'd like you to consider something. Consider something now and as we enter into the text. Do you look any different, really, from those around you in the world? Do we really look any different from other groups, movements, that gather? Do you, is there a contrast between you and those in your workplace, your schools, your neighborhoods, your clubs, your groups online? Do we look different than the world around us? Peter has a message for us in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 9. That's what we'll be looking at this morning. That is laid out in two contrasting blocks, and then he'll pull together a final point for us. So let me pray, ask God to bless his word in our hearts and minds, and then we'll read the first text block in verses 12 through 14. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. In your word, you tell us that we are blessed when we are insulted persecuted and reviled for your sake. You tell us to rejoice and be glad for great is our reward in heaven. Lord, that is not easy for us. We know you know this and that is why you've given us your spirit and your word to equip and empower us for such a task. Lord, would you be with us this morning as we study your word, Lord? Would you make it powerful and effective in our minds and hearts that we would live the blessed life now and forever, making your name known, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 4, the first three verses, 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial, the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. 
so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Peter starts by marking this new section with an endearing word. Beloved. In other words, in what he's about to say, he doesn't, just, he doesn't care to just throw out some hard truth in a vacuum. He says his words with tender, personal appeal. He has compassion for his fellow sufferers. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal or fiery trial when it comes upon you. Why? Because, Peter says, it has a purpose for your testing. And then he says, this is something that should not be strange to you. Hmm. In order to not be surprised by something, we have to know it beforehand, right? So that's important here. We have to know something about our suffering in order to not be surprised. Now, if you recall, Peter wrote something helpful for us, which we saw several weeks ago in chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he wrote, In this you greatly rejoice, salvation that is, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So, our fiery trials are means of testing in that they purify and prove the genuineness of our faith. Peter says, this being more valuable for us than gold, Pastor Brian said it well two weeks ago, God uses our suffering to sanctify us, to make us more and more like his son Christ, Jesus. Family, that's a really good purpose. Amen? Which results in praise, glory, and honor. God cannot make his purposes for Christian suffering any clearer. Now we know. And there's a personal connection that I think we must make right now. There is a strange and terrifying existential reality 
that exists within us that leads us to believe that life unfolds by cause and effect based on our moral doing. Hmm? When we do good, we believe good things will happen to us. When we do bad, bad things happen to us, like suffering and fiery trials. We all struggle with this. That's why when something unsettling happens to you, if you're like me, you're quick to think, what did I do? I must have done something wrong. And then you look up, what did I do? How can I make this right to make it stop? Am I alone? I don't think so. That wild coyote will chase you down and never give up until it consumes you. But this text is the meep meep <laughs> to that notion. That's really good news. Hallelujah. Suffering has purpose for Christians and it's for good. Do not be surprised by suffering, Peter says. Rejoice in it. Okay. Now, we can get not being surprised for suffering, but rejoice in it? Come on. What could there possibly be for us to rejoice in? Peter says, verse 13, to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. And when he comes back, you will rejoice with great exaltation. He's saying, you can rejoice in it because as you go through your fiery trials and look to Jesus who's gone before you, you can find joy in identifying with him all the more intimately. That's what Peter's saying. To the degree. The more you suffer, the more intimately you can identify with him. As you look to him, and as you look to him in it and persevere, you remember where he ended up. Resurrection, high and lifted up, ascended to the right hand of God. And when he comes back, Peter says, you will burst. We will burst in nothing but joy and glory. That's your destiny confirmed in this word. That's a good word. We need that word. He goes on in verse 14. Remember, 
when they mock you and revile you for your faith in Christ, you are blessed. Because, Peter says, God is with you. God's spirit of glory rests on you. He will be with you in it. Peter, here, is alluding to the prophecy in Isaiah 11 that we read this morning for our our scripture reading. That a, a shoot will spring up from the stem of Jesse and the Spirit of Lord will rest on him. This is a prophecy of the coming Messiah 700 years before Jesus' arrival. And Isaiah is pointing to the Spirit of God that's going to rest on Christ Jesus when he comes. And here, Peter applies the same prophecy to the same Spirit resting on Christians. Christians share in the same kind of suffering as Christ Jesus and endure by the same Spirit of God that rested upon Him. He is with us. He will give us just what we need to persevere when that hour comes. Our team, as you're all aware, last week we announced it, just got back, our mission team from Holland a week ago. Excited to hear an update next week from them. Have already heard great reports. Holland is the homeland of Corrie ten Boom. Maybe you've heard of her. That exemplary woman of God who has much for all of us to learn from. Corrie and her family worked against the Nazis in World War II hiding Jews in their home. When she was caught, she was sent to a concentration camp where she was stripped of her dignity, saw her father and her sister Betsy die, and suffered horrors that we couldn't even begin to imagine. Corey tells a story in her famous book, The Hiding Place. I would highly recommend it for you all if you haven't read it yet. She tells a story of when she was a little girl sobbing over the thought of losing her father and suffering in this life. And while sobbing, her father draws near and sits by her bedside right next to her and says, Corey, when you and I go to Amsterdam, when do I give you your ticket? She recounts, I sniffed a few times considering this. (laughs) Why, just before we get on the train. And her father said, exactly. And our wise father in heaven knows when you're going to need things too. Don't run out ahead of him, Corey. When the time comes for us all to suffer and die, you will look into your heart and find the strength you need just in time. Oh, and how she did find that strength time and time again in her life as the Spirit of God showed up powerfully 
time and time again in her life. To the point where many years later, after the war, as she's traveling around sharing testimony in her story, she comes face to face in a church right after she shares her testimony with a former Nazi guard that she remembers firsthand from her camp. Chills run down her spine. He's a Christian now. She comes to learn that in obeying the command to forgive and love our enemies, God does not leave us to produce that love on our own. He gives it to us in our time of need. If we trust Him, if we trust Him, God is with us, family. And we too, as we face various trials, sufferings, and even death, we look to Him and we trust Him. God will be there with us, sustaining us, giving us just what we need in time to endure. Amen? His Spirit rests on us and will show up when we need Him. So, here we see the first contrast. Don't be surprised by suffering. Rejoice in it. Be different from those around you. When they are surprised that you stop indulging in sin and debauchery, remember from two weeks ago, don't you be surprised that they mock you, that you suffer. They're surprised because they don't know. You are not surprised because you know God's ways, that is. Rejoice. He is with you and will see you through to the end. This is true joy. Like that of the apostles in Acts 5 who were whipped in the public square and scripture says they went home rejoicing that they were considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Peter wants us to have that mind and heart. You want that? Is he worthy? Is he worth it? They thought he was. Let's read verses 15 and 16. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Peter leads us now into the next contrast, and as he does, he makes clear that Many in the world suffer ridicule, mockery, and opposition not because fo they follow what is right and good, but simply because they're jerks. <laughs> That's what Peter's saying. Couldn't be any clearer. If you're cruel, harsh, 
unreasonable, self-centered. People are just not going to like you. It's that simple. When you do evil and wrongdoing in the eyes of God, you will reap sufferings and opposition. But, not the kind that's blessed by God. It will be shameful suffering. Shameful suffering. What's important to note is that the grammar here, at the start of verse 15, make sure that none of you, whatever version you have, that it may look different, indicates that what he previously said in 12 through 14 is conditional. He's saying, not all suffering results in joy and God's presence with you. Oh no. Only faithful suffering as a true Christian. In other words, you are blessed. He is with you. You do have Him resting on you. He is with you. But, provided that your suffering is for being faithful to God according to His ways. Provided that is Peter's point in there. These four categories, murderer, thief, evildoer, and meddler, they make up quite an array of reputations that we can get for doing what is wrong in the eyes of God. That word, the last one, meddler, troublesome meddler, it's not 100% clear, but likely means something of a busybody who likes to meddle in other people's affairs. You see? You see the spectrum? You don't have to have killed somebody to suffer shamefully. All you have to do is don't do what God asks of us and do what He asks us not to do. Then, you will likely suffer. Shamefully, that is. That's not true suffering here. In other words, if you mock people, slander others, love to gossip, join the world in mocking the government, mocking the state, mocking the schools, mocking the people, mocking the church, you are eagerly pursuing shameful suffering. You're asking for it. That's evil doing. When your hardships come, don't expect any of these blessings from God. They don't apply. But, verse 16, if you suffer as a true Christian, one who looks to Christ and seeks to live for Him in all their ways, you have nothing, nothing to be ashamed of. Glorify God in that name, Christian 
You know, this is the third of only three, the third and final place in the entire New Testament where the name Christian is explicitly used. The first two are in Acts. And what seems to be clear is that the name Christian was originally designated by people outside of the church, looking in at the church. Many scholars appropriately believe it was at first a term of contempt in which Christians soon took on as a badge of honor. Remember Acts 26? Paul standing before King Agrippa and Festus in chains. And Festus says, You've gone mad, Paul. You're out of your mind. King Agrippa says, You think you can in such a short time, Paul, convince me to be a Christian? You're nuts. Paul says, oh, how I wish so for you and for all who hear this gospel today. That's a great scene. That's a great scene. Peter's point is this. Christian, the honor you have in bearing the name of Christ on you is incomparable to any name you could achieve in this life incomparable the glory in your name here and now Peter says is not worth holding on to compared to the glory that is to come in his name upon us let it go let yourself go don't be ashamed you are filled with honor and glory in him now and forever. Peter says, you will glorify God most the more you show that your joy and security is immovable in him. When people and circumstances try to strip you down to get you to bail on God, in shame? What kind of God would allow you to suffer like that? Surely no loving God. And to their surprise, the more you're stripped, the more you shine, God is glorified. This shouldn't be hard to understand. Those who press on secure in our identity in Christ, joyful of His presence with us, are those who are blessed and glorify God most. You will shine. People will see something different about you and they're going to want to know where it comes from. Where do you get that? You're going to see people. They may feel a little uncomfortable about it, but they're going to want to draw near to you. I want to follow you, and I'm not even sure why, but I see something, smell something that I'm thirsting for. We will shine, but 
Those who fight back at everyone and everything and allow the changing tides of our day to toss them about in fear, anger, and anxieties, these show they're insecure. That's insecurity. They need glory now. And so they'll keep fighting for it. Hostile living in a hostile world profits nothing for God. Darkness in the dark profits nothing. Tasteless salt, throw it out. Good for nothing. Peter says, Christians, not only is God Not only is the glory of God in us and upon us, but it's also coming in full for us. We see a present and future orientation to Peter's direction here. Look at verses 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Peter reinforces his two points that he just made. God's judgment is upon the earth right now and will come in full at the return of Christ. Judgment is here being revealed in part and final judgment is coming. Peter explains, if God is purifying his beloved people through suffering and preparing us for our inheritance through hardships now, what do you think he'll do to evildoers later? If the road toward eternal salvation for his precious people is narrow and hard now, and the road for haters of God is wide and easy now, what do you think will be the outcome for his adversaries when Jesus returns? Answer, everlasting contempt. Shame and agony separated from God in hell for all eternity, where there's perpetual weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible says the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. And of my beloveds, God says, everlasting joy, honor, and glory with me. Amen. What that does mean for us now, though, is that God doesn't overlook his people and simply judge those outside his family. Oh no, far from it. He always starts in his house, all throughout Scripture. If he has, think about it, if he has chosen a few out of all the earth, 
to bear up his holy name and receive his glory and honor, you better believe he makes sure his people are displaying him well. He will not let his name be profaned, especially not by his people. Peter's second point here is this. Don't suffer shamefully. Honor God in it. Honor Him. Now, if some of us are here today and we're hearing the Word and having a tough time examining our ways, there's hope. If you feel like your heart is growing hard, maybe even harder and harder as years go on, you feel angry often, you feel like you're hating more and more people, come to Jesus. Let yourself go and you'll find yourself. Respond to the gospel of God today. The good news of what God has done for us through the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus, for our forgiveness and reconciliation with Him. He calls us to come. Find honor, security, and true joy in Christ Jesus today. Let today be the day of your salvation. He says, I will not turn away anyone who comes to me. All you have to do is believe and receive new life and true hope to endure this difficult life. You need it. Christians don't suffer shamefully. We honor God in it. Amen? In verse 19, Peter brings our focus to a point. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Peter says, therefore, wrapping up, for those who suffer according to the will of God, again here, purposeful suffering, when you're in it, he says, you shall entrust your soul to our faithful creator God. It's unique that Peter calls God our faithful creator here. Likely because since he is our creator, he is also our sustainer. He who formed us is the one and only one who truly keeps holding us together. Though our trials are fiery and seem to toss us out of control, seem to be completely unexpected, completely disorienting. We're in His grip. He's in control. He knows what you're going through. He will hold us fast. Trust Him. Peter says, trust yourself to our faithful creator while doing what is right. That's big. He ends with living it out. Live it out. Faith in action. And we know this is important to Peter because it's important to God. Holy living consists of holistic living in Christ. Mind, body, and soul. Thinking, 
feeling and doing the righteousness of Christ. Observe the flow of the passage. Don't be surprised. Know something. God's word and God's ways. Don't feel ashamed. Feel joy and honor. Don't do evil. Do what is right and good. The flow is fitting. Right belief leads to right behavior. You see that? You see the flow? Right belief leads to right behavior. Family, God has given us all we need to persevere well, witnessing to the glorious grace of the gospel. As we press on, knowing what is right in God's ways, we will live as light for his name. Amen? Know what is right in God's ways to live as light for God's name. Family, we are the light of the world. A people on display for all to see the glorious grace of God in Jesus. Look to him. Live. We can trust him. Amen? He's coming back. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we hear a passage like this and we come to you. This is not easy. We need you. Lord, it is a strange new phenomenon for us to be to, to, to begin to feel the increasing opposition as Christians in America. This is a strange new phenomenon for us. And yet we look at your word, we look at the world, we look at your history of your people, and it is very clear this is not strange and not new. As the world has hated you, they will hate us as we follow you. This shouldn't be surprising, and yet it is, Lord. Would you help us in ways? This is not easy. Command of us what you will, and we ask that you would grant within us the ability to follow what you command. Help us, Lord. Strengthen our faith in you. For those who do not know you in this room, filled with anger, rage, shame of all kinds, would you awaken faith? Would you draw them to you? Help them find honor, glory, satisfaction, and joy everlasting in you? Now we know the Lord saves his anointed. You hear our prayers from your holy heaven and save us and intervene with the power of your right hand. Some trust in chariots and others in horses. Some trust in money and others in government. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. And God's people said together with one voice, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week.